Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. Let me invite you, if you've got a copy of God's Word, if you turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, and if you didn't bring a Bible with you, let me encourage you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. Uh, you can use that, and not only can you use it, uh, we encourage you to take it home with you. It's a gift from us to you, and I want to encourage you not only to read it now, but to uh, read it forever. So, we are delighting to walk with Christ and really walk with God in all the ways in which He's teaching us in 2 Corinthians about God's power in the midst of our weakness. And as you're turning with me to 2 Corinthians, really at the end of chapter 1 and leading into chapter 2, as we come to this text and think about working towards a goal, right? Many of us have goals in life and we talk about these things on a regular basis. Maybe not so much this time of year as other times of year, uh, but maybe now is a good time of year to look at those goals again uh, because here we are well into the year thinking about it. And, you know, we've got all manner of ways that we do this. Sometimes we make financial goals and work towards those, or, or maybe you've been working on some fitness goals and working towards that, or you've got career goals and certain aspects of what that you hope will look like, or parental goals, or maybe even reading goals of reading God's Word or reading books or those sorts of things. But in all those things, it takes work, doesn't it? Those books are not going to read themselves. That work is not going to be accomplished just on its own. All of that necessity of putting aside all of those fried goods and everything else and trying to walk in all the greens and everything else and and get all your sit-ups in, that's a lot of work. It takes a lot of labor to work towards a goal. But as we think of who we are as a church, we get to be involved in this as well. Now, even as we think about how this plays itself out, that God is calling us to labor together for joy in Christ. So grab your copy of God's Word, read with me if you will in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 starting in verse 23 and we will read down through chapter 2 verse 4 and this is what we read. It says, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you for salvation by grace through faith in Christ. It's a free gift so that none of us may boast. But Father, we also thank you that in Christ we are new creations created for good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So with that in our mind and in our hearts, Father, direct our attention, teach us by your Spirit, through your Word, for your great glory, what it means to labor together for joy. And Father, may our lives, after interacting with this text, display 
that we rejoice in Jesus together. In Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray. Amen. As we come back into the context of where we are within 2 Corinthians, of course, we can remember talking about grace and peace and that being so foundational to even the function of the Christian and the church itself and talking about the the wonder of the God of all comfort and the hope that's found in Him and in Him alone and thinking about relying upon the God who raises the dead and all the reasons that He's given us for boasting in His grace and that even last week talking about all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ and that we are depending upon the dependable God and so all of that lays the framework and is the backdrop to where we walk into to right now, because Paul finds himself in the midst of this, we talked about it last week, unpacking his travel itinerary in the changing of it, and so here he is again, coming back to direct their attention to that, but for a very specific purpose, because he says in verse 23, he says, I call God to witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. I mean, he's using this sort of language in order to say, look, God will punish me if I am lying to you. It's a way of saying, I'm telling you the truth. I call God to witness against me if this were not true. And he starts to explain these things. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Spare them what? Well, spare them the public rebuke. Spare them the frustration of the fact that he had already called them to the carpet to a degree already and said, there is sin in the camp and it needs to be dealt with. And up to, this, up to that point in his travel itinerary, it had not yet been dealt with. He's saying, you were being slow to do the right thing. That if you're a parent or a grandparent or if you've been around children at all, you know how frustrating this is. We've told you what to do. We've even given you the pathway to do it. And what are you doing over here? He's saying, I, I, I didn't come, and it was a way of sparing you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. The issues in the church are still there or were still there, and he had told the church to address them. And so in many ways, he's saying, look, the church of Corinth benefited from the travel delays. From the change of itinerary. That Paul could not and Paul would not affirm sin in any fashion, and we can't either. And then, even as we read this, we have to remember who it is that he's talking to here. He's talking to the Corinthian church, right? And we remember the Corinthian church. And you can even go into secular histories of Corinth, but you can just even go right back into 1 Corinthians. And you can remember in reading through there just a litany of all manner of sexually immoral practices. And you can talk about all manner of adultery. You can talk about, you know, unbiblical relationships. You can talk about homosexuality. He had addressed them. The church needed to address them. There were things that were going on within the church that they could not tolerate if they're really genuinely going to follow Christ. But it's not just those things. He also dealt with pride and with theft and with greed and with drunkenness. And isn't it striking that as we read this right now, here we are as a church within our own culture and sin is still prominent. You know why? Because human beings still have a sin nature. It's still there. 
And so any sense of a distortion of God's design in modern sexual sins, we can't just give a pass to. Homosexuality is a distortion of God's design. Gender transition is a distortion of God's design. And both of those things, biblically speaking, are so clearly delineated as absolutely profane. Men cannot become women. Women cannot become men. And we don't do anybody a favor by, one, acting like they can, or two, saying nothing about it. It doesn't do anyone any good either way. It doesn't help us to redefine marriage and distort ultimately the picture that's displayed in Christ in the church. There's a bride and there's a groom and they're together forever. That's the picture. And that's it. But then you add to that, it's not like we just pull these things out and, and say, well, that's the only thing. No, you add to that all the distortions of adultery or pride or theft, or greed, or drunkenness, or disorder. And we may read these things and be like, well, those aren't issues for me in particular. Well, they may be if you find yourself being entertained by them when you watch television. It's not a joke. We're not playing around here. The Apostle Paul was not playing around here. But we have to see that he's not just simply calling these things out because it makes him look better. He's calling these things out because we are aiming for joy. We are laboring together for joy. We are pointing one another together to look to Jesus for joy. Work together for joy by being steadfast in the truth. He says in verse 24, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Paul is not just running around telling everybody what to do. We've known what that's like. Maybe you're, you're in, a, in a work situation where all it is is all expectation and no explanation. And just the frustration of that. Just get it done. Get what done? I don't care. Just do it. Just do it because I said so. You think, what? that doesn't help anything, does it? And Paul's saying, that's not what we're doing here. There's a better way ahead. God transforming our affections, and by transforming our affections, he then transforms our actions. And this here ultimately is the apostolic mission, to submit to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that God convicts because God speaks, God brings about repentance, and where our lives do not align with His Word, He brings them out and draws us to Himself. But it requires somebody in our life to have an open Bible and say, well, you need help. And we're walking together for joy, we're leading one another in this direction. He says, not that we lord it over your faith. And we need to be careful how we read this here. Because we don't need to read our sort of postmodern sensibilities into this. When he says, we lord it over your faith. They do have their own individual faith in Christ. But that doesn't mean your faith is your faith and my faith is my faith and they're entirely different. No, he's talking about biblical faith. True commitment to Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose again. Who's the only hope of our salvation who is the only hope of our forgiveness. He alone is the object of our faith, and He is the one to whom we lay down our lives and trust Him in all things as Messiah, as Lord. 
that we are born again and have a living faith, then we need not require such arm twisting into obedience if we're truly following Christ. He says, we, not that we lord it over your faith. We're not just trying to walk behind you and just tell you what to do and nag you through the kingdom. He says, we work with you for your joy. We are fellow workers, if you wanted to translate it that way. But what do you do with your co-workers? Well, if your co-workers down in the ditch working, what do you do? You get down there in there with them. Let me help you. We have the same mission and the same aim and the same direction. We are on the same team because we're following the same Lord. He says, we are co-workers, fellow workers. We work with you for your joy. And the joy is not this vague notion, right? It's not balloons and pinatas and confetti and, you know, whatever else we might say. or Throw a party hat in there. Joy is the absolute gladness of salvation in Jesus Christ, that no matter the circumstances, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter what the details of your life may be, the gospel is true. And that even if death comes knocking, if Jesus is your Savior and Lord, you know that Jesus is true to his word and that he's the resurrection and the life and that anyone who lives and believes in him, though they die, yet they shall live. What hope we have in Christ. What joy in him. That as we talked about last week, all of those promises find their yes in Christ. We have a living hope in Him, and we need to walk in it. But blatant sin does not help, does it? We work together for joy. And then as you, as you just think about that for a second, and you think about the deepest joys, really do come from the hardest labors. And that the things that you most enjoy, you don't mind working at. You might enjoy golf. You don't mind working at golf, do you? Like, oh, it's such a burden to go out to the range and hit a few balls. This is rough. Even more than that, think about perhaps the greatest labor I've ever seen As Meredith was giving birth to our children, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and in many circumstances it's dangerous, but look at the joys. Look at where that led. Look at the result. And that as we think of laboring and working together, begin and work with the end in mind Joy in Jesus and knowing Him and growing in Him and, and walking in His peace and forgiveness and hope and thinking about the ways in which this is unpacked in other places, right? Consider it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kind, for we know that this will produce what? Steadfastness. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Work at it. Lean down into the hard work of joy together with our focus on Christ. And I wonder as we read this, is this us? When we were making out our goals for 2023, was this on there? Laboring together for joy. 
Because as we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ in every opportunity we have, whether that's in your small group, in Sunday school, whether that's in here, whether it's when we run into each other out in the store or whatever else the case may be, when we see one another, are we looking at one another, how can I labor for their joy in Christ? How can I put a little more in there to help lead them to joy in Jesus? How do we get there? Remember the power of the gospel. Remember the sufficiency of his word and remember that Christ Jesus really does transform lives. I mean, you remember, you, can, you don't even have to go very far. You can look at 1 Corinthians, even chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Very direct there. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Joy isn't saying, oh, all those things are okay, or oh, it'll give a pass. No, joy is saying, no, all those things are wrong, but look at what we're offered in Christ, and look at what he does when he transforms a life. That is joy. Labor together for that. And then as we walk in that joy, it's contagious, isn't it? What happens when somebody is singing a song around you, and all of a sudden they raise up their hand? What do you think to yourself? I should probably be doing that too. Right? It's contagious. Somebody's really excited about sharing Christ with somebody else, and they, they're telling the story about all that. What does that do for us? It encourages us, doesn't it? It's like joy's a little contagious. As you talk with somebody, and they're just devouring God's Word and so enjoying it and growing in it, what does that do? That encourages us. As we work together for joy, See, this is not all rebuke, is it? He tells them, for you stand firm in your faith. He says, look, I know you're genuine. And that you're not budging off of the gospel. And that where biblical, biblical conviction is matched by living action, joy is present. As you stand firm in your faith. And we, we need to read this and remember he's speaking to real people then and God is speaking to real people right now. Speaking to parents who want the best for their children. Speaking to children who are caring for their parents. Speaking to people who have enjoyed being called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Christ, whose lives have experienced the redemption and reconciling power of the gospel and who are themselves now messengers of reconciliation. It's like the more you trust in Christ, the more reason there is to rejoice and it just keeps going. The more you enjoy all of those promises and the more you learn about them because there's so many promises even like we talked about last week, we didn't even mention. And so you learn another one and you're like, this is amazing and you trust them all the more and joy just rises up. It doesn't steal joy to follow the instructions, does it? Maybe you were watching the Braves game yesterday. But if all of a sudden somebody playing for the Atlanta Braves decided, you know what, I'm going to change this game. 
and they hit a fly ball, and before they make it to first base, they're going to make sure that they get there and that ball's on the ground. So they run out there into center field and just lay that guy out. And then make their way back to first. <laughs> it's wishful thinking. Make their way back to first base. And as that guy's trying to regain consciousness, makes his way all the way around the bases, be like, see, I did it. Finally put up some points. Like, that'd be absolute chaos, wouldn't it? We're talking about messing with the game. It would not stir joy to completely disobey the rules, even though it might feel good for a second. Maybe you've had that experience in your own family. Maybe you get out the board games, or maybe you don't for this very reason. Because people tend to make up their own rules. I'm making my way around the board. and be like, no, you can't go that way. We're like, what do you mean you can't go that way? Let's look at the rules. And I don't, we don't need the rules. This is not how I play. This, let me tell you how I play. And be like, this seems pretty heavy-handed on one side, doesn't it? And what happens? It just turns into a big old fight. Because we're not following the rules as they're laid out. It's just one man against one man. We're fighting against each other here. It does not steal joy to to follow the instructions. In fact, joy thrives and flourishes in the midst of following the instructions as God has given them. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Follow and enjoy Him. Display holiness in your life and the joy in it. Stir joy in the next generation by your own example of standing firm in the faith. Don't disregard all the instructions. No, embrace them. That's the pathway to joy because we don't know as well as we think we do, do we? So labor together for joy, but labor together for joy by loving one another with the truth. Because as the Apostle Paul continues, he says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, for if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? He says, I've judged within myself. I determined at that moment I'm not going to come for another painful visit. Another visit that was full of grief and sorrow, of a sense of a crushed heart. And we don't need to read this and thinking that he's avoiding addressing sin. He's just determined not to browbeat people into joy because he knows it doesn't work that way. The, the truth has been laid out there. Now you need to respond to it. It's clear. Now you need to respond. And the expectation is that if you will genuinely trust and follow Jesus, you'll walk in repentance and faith. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. He says, for if I cause you pain, if I cause you grief, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? See what he's doing here? He's, he's after the end result. This is not self-righteousness. This is calling sin, sin, and pointing people to the gospel of Christ. This is saying this is not about Paul, and this is not about this person in Corinth. This is about the glory of Jesus. This is about his lordship. This is about following him. And he says, and the one 
who would have made me glad is the one whom I have, I have paid. He dealt with specific sin. And he was even here expectant of victory, taking the long view. Even knowing, because the immediate response is what? If somebody, if somebody says, there's something wrong here, what is our immediate response? Uh-uh. It's just in us. It's our sin nature to push back against that. And so sometimes there needs to be an exercise of letting the gospel and letting the truth simmer for a little while. Because God is a whole lot more convincing than we are. Lay it out there and God can bring conviction in a way that you cannot. And look forward to how God is going to bear this out. Paul wants to rejoice in the right response to the truth. Because even as he thinks of this, he would have still known people in Corinth who were not yet believers, knowing good and well that the gospel clearly articulated is a call to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Why? Because if you don't, you're just storing up wrath for the day of wrath. Hell is coming. And it's a loving thing to bring that up. Flee from the wrath that is to come. Look to Jesus as your only hope. But while we articulate the truth and while we remain stand steadfast in articulating the truth, labor for joy by loving with the truth, acknowledging the fact that sometimes it takes time. People are not bags of microwave popcorn. It's not just three minutes and every time it works out. Really, it's two minutes because three minutes you burn it. It's not like that. And for many of us, we know that. Many of us, this has been our experience. Maybe you didn't come to faith in Christ for years. You were a kid. Maybe you heard it every Sunday, day after, I mean, week after week, all the time. Maybe you grew up in a home where the gospel was everywhere, and you're like, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want this. Maybe that's you right now. I've heard it a thousand times. I don't want anything of it. And then all of a sudden, it's like the light comes on. And you recognize it's the holiness of God and you don't deserve to be in his presence and you know that you have sinned against him and you know that all your only hope rests nothing in yourself but only in him. If only he would be merciful and gracious. Lift your eyes and look and trust and see he is. Trust in him as Savior and Lord. He's, look at what he says here. He says, I wrote as I did so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. He says, I wrote as I did. I spoke with such direct clarity, calling it as it is, because we're not doing anyone any good by being silent on sin. Because if a doctor walked into the doctor's office and you were sitting there and he knew something about what was going on in your life and he didn't say anything about it and it was like, hey, you're good, everything's fine, and walked right out of there and three days later you wound up in the emergency room and be like, why didn't you tell me? Would you be annoyed? You go into the dentist's office, be like, everything's fine, looks good, looks like everything's all right. And next thing you know, you wind up, you know, just bent over in half and aching pain. Be like, how did you not see this? Wasn't it right there? What about as believers, as we look out and see the devastation of sin? Do we not see how awful it is? We're not talking about theoretical things. We're talking about real people. 
real lives, real mothers and real daughters and real fathers and real sons and real grandparents, real children who really need a real Savior, and there's only one, and we know Him. And as people are delighting in the darkness and doing all manner of things, it does us no good to stay silent. It does us no good to sort of build these you know, towers of, of self-righteousness. No, we go in and we engage with the gospel and trust God to convict them. He says, I wrote as I did so that I might not suffer pain or grief from those who should have made me rejoice. Because as people repent and trust in Christ, it stirs the joy of everyone, doesn't it? That's why baptism is always so enjoyable. That's why we always get so much joy out of it, because we know sin ruins lives. So we point people to the only hope. He says, and I felt sure that my joy would be the joy of you all. That the gospel that takes root bears fruit. The joy of hope, the joy of being reconciled with God, the joy of knowing that it is finished is still true, the joy of knowing that Jesus lives and because he lives I can face tomorrow. The joy of being born again to a living hope is true. And we're rejoicing together in it. It's not like Saturdays where we're always against each other and we're, we're rejoicing on opposite sides of the field and some are rejoicing in one moment and the other half of the, the bunch is just weeping their eyes out. It's not like that. We're rejoicing together in Christ. We're, we're looking to joy and aiming for joy and laboring for joy together. He says, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He knows good and well he was harsh at times and it was necessary. Because it's hard work dragging the deeds of darkness out into the light. And it felt like affliction and it felt like anguish and there was tension and it was not fun. But the aim of the church is not fun. It's to glorify Christ. But added to what he says here, I wrote out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and what? With many tears. It's the truth of Christ that compels this. Isn't it interesting if you go back and you read in in the Psalms, and you read Psalm 119, which is really the longest chapter in the Bible, and really an articulation of the glory of God's Word, and you find embedded in here in thinking of God's Word, Psalm 119, verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Or you could turn to Psalm 126, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. See, we're ready to speak when we're ready to weep. When we're broken, and we can sow the gospel with tears. 
Tears of the fact that real people are missing out on joy in Christ. It is not hateful to speak of hell. If you're calling people to turn away from their sin and trust in Christ and have joy in Him, it is hateful to not speak of hell if we genuinely believe it's true. Calling them to repent and trust in Christ because they're missing out on the God of all comfort. They're missing out on relying upon the God who raises the dead. They're missing out on all these promises fulfilled on Him being the good shepherd who shepherds His sheep with such kindness and perfection and clarity. Missing out on the He who is the light of the world and light in the darkness. Missing out on redemption power and the joy of knowing Jesus and life in Him. But I wonder as we read this, as we think of the Apostle Paul weeping over the Corinthian church, I wonder who is it that we weep for? Who is it that you weep for? And maybe it's that prodigal child that has heard it a thousand times and you feel like you have just banged your head against a brick wall. Don't stop weeping and don't stop sharing. Aim long term for joy in Jesus. Maybe you've wept streams of tears over that stubborn spouse who's glad for you to go to church in hopes that they will ride your coattails into the kingdom, but you know good and well that will never happen. Weeping for that lifelong friend. Weeping for that neighbor whose lives may display just discontent in every, and it's just like jumping from one thing to another, from one thing to another, and it's the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season over and over and over and over again. See the picture here? That as we love one another with the truth, we got to love one another enough to be bothered. Because when we're bothered, we care. Care enough to mention it of real hope and real love and real joy in Jesus. And in these tear-stained letters, the aim is not pain. It was not written to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. As you think of surgery, the aim is not pain, but it has some pain involved in it, doesn't it? The aim is ultimately restoration, but the road to restoration has some surgical pain associated with it. The pain is temporary. But Lord willing, the healing is permanent. And so we love by laboring for joy. Because when you love somebody, you want what is best for them. Love runs into the burning building of a life plunging headlong toward hell and says, repent and believe. Love runs toward those people who are professing brothers and sisters in Christ who are awash in the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season and are using the grace of God as reason for sin and runs to them and says, repent and believe there is joy in Jesus. Love speaks the truth to a culture that is full of false hope and the redefinition of truth for their own passions and says, repent and believe labor for joy together by being steadfast with the truth. What now?
if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, hear me out for a second. The mere fact that you are here is a display of God's goodness and mercy. To allow you to hear the hope of salvation. Because the reality is we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have willfully intentionally and by our own nature sinned against the righteous and holy God and we deserve punishment for it. That as we think of sinning against different structures of, a, of authority, the higher the authority, the worse the punishment gets. God's authority is far beyond anything that we can even imagine. So the punishment for violating His law is far greater than we thought it would be. It's hell. Listen to me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. Jesus was sent. Son of God, fully God and fully man. Lived in perfect righteousness. Was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. Went to the cross and died in your place. He endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against your sin so that you wouldn't have to, so that you would repent and believe and trust in Jesus and have forgiveness and everlasting life. He is the only hope, and the road to joy runs right through the cross and out that resurrection tomb, but you have to trust Him. Will you trust Him today? And for all of us in here who are believers... Even as we think of gather and go this afternoon. First, we need to do some self-examination. Make sure our own individual hearts are in the right place. And then we need to get on our knees before God. And weep strings of tears for those who do not keep his law. And then with tears in our eyes and joy in our hearts, we go with the gospel. And watch what God will do. I invite you to respond in any way that will bring glory and honor to Christ here this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking with such clarity to us. For we need it. God, we ask that in this moment, that for anybody in here who has never trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, maybe who has toyed with the idea and yet is still relying upon themselves, upon their own good works, upon their own good ideas, upon all manner of things that solely rest upon them, open their eyes to see the joy that salvation is a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ, freely given, received by faith. Father, work that out in their hearts here today, that they would respond to you and simply cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And they would go home from this place justified with joy in their hearts. Father, for all of us in here, may we labor together for joy. Give us a greater desire for your truth, but Father, give us a greater desire to see the fruit of joy born out in the lives of one another. 
So, Father, give us clear self-examination. Give us clear tears in our eyes as we weep for those who need you. And, Father, use us mightily as we seek to see others rejoice with us in Jesus. Thank you for hope and life and forgiveness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.